Hello, everyone. Redcoat here. Cian here joins him. And uh, we've got another podcast for you. This one's going to be going over video game economies. Yep. First disclaimer, neither of us are economists. We don't have the expertise to call this an expert analysis, but we do think a lot. And uh, so one of the things that helps with thinking through this is there's not as many variables in video game economies as there are in real world economies. Thank goodness. No kidding. <laughs> Oh, man. But yeah, that brings us to this, though. Why discuss video game economies? That's the first question whenever looking to do something, right? Yeah. So I I think that there's something very interesting to look at here. A lot of video game economies are fundamentally broken. And this is because of kind of a breakdown in what I understand to be one of the sort of fundamental principles of economics, which is this idea of supply and demand. Uh, So saying in a couple of different ways here. Supply of something, but no demand. You don't have the ability to do anything with that supply. Nobody wants it. Uh, on the other hand, if there's demand, but no supply, nobody can do anything with their demand. There's no nothing to supply it with. Said in a slightly different way, if you have something you want to sell and nobody wants to buy it, no money's changing hands. On the other hand, if there's something that people would really like to buy, but nobody's selling it, sold out stuff, for example, Mm -hmm. then still, money isn't changing hands. Either way, stuff isn't happening. And so from there, we get get a little bit of a, a bold statement here. Many video game economies are pointless precisely because of this principle. A lot of games do feature money, and uh, typically the player doesn't care about that money. Either it's because, you know, whatever it is that they'd buy is just freely available elsewhere in the game, or the stuff that they can buy is just worse than yeah. stuff that's freely available, which happens a lot. Mm-hmm. Or uh, the, the amount of money that the player gets just so outpaces the cost of stuff that the player's purchasing power... It's like... Bill Gates going to the grocery store. He doesn't care how much stuff costs. I mean, he might because he's trying to be prudent, maybe, but yeah, he, he, can just, he doesn't have to care about how much stuff costs. Yeah, he can go in there and be like, Mega Rain! Do I have 99 slots for all of those milk, for all those milk cartons? 99 milk cartons. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, he can buy as many bags of Lay's potato chips as he wants, yeah. more or less, because the cost is going to be so low compared to how much money he has. A lot of players are like that in video games, particularly towards the end game, where they're just like, I have all the monies. You cannot possibly charge enough. My act of playing the game makes me all the monies back. Yep. Going from there, one of the things we want to look at here is exactly how you actually produce an economy in a video game, so to speak. Yeah, so uh, we're really looking at some of the reasons that, that video games do break. Like, why do these issues keep coming up? Yeah. And and what leads to these broken economies in video games time and again. And and I, I do want to, to briefly address MMOs because MMO economies are a particularly terrifying monster. Yeah. Uh, and and we'll discuss that a bit more once we've gone through some of these common reasons why why video game economies break. But uh, just kind of keep in mind that multiple players acts as a multiplicative effect on the things that cause economies to break. Yeah, essentially, the MMO economy is a lot closer to a real-life economy, and so the holes that can show up in there are way more virulent. Yeah. Uh, so kind of the the first thing that causes video game economies to break, in many ways, one of the more significant ones, is the concept of loot. 
Uh, so for those who have not heard this term before, just briefly describe it. It's stuff that the player finds in the game world, usually from like chests or some ambient thing that they pick it up from or is something that enemies drop upon death or whatever. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that's really, really challenging is giving the player loot that actually matters to them, that's meaningful. It can actually be really difficult to do that. One of the things about it is like giving loot that is meaningful. So that means, generally speaking, you're like, okay, you give them something that makes them play the game better or you know allows them to play the game in a in a cool better way but the problem is that you have like a game progression to go through and you have a lot of stuff that goes along with that and um if you have an economy that um that handles certain items well i should say i should preface this with your loot is usually something that your player uses something the player is going to be using throughout the game and so rewarding them with new loot is giving them better versions of that stuff and usually if you have a game economy in your game, it tends to overlap in that space where that loot would show up. Yeah. In other words, you are caught between this dilemma of giving, like, so you can give the player money as loot, for example. Yeah. But you're often caught in this dilemma of how do I give the player loot that's meaningful and also have store-bought stuff that's meaningful? Yeah. Right, so you can, for example, give the player consumable items as loot, but that decreases their value as something that the player wants to purchase because they have it already from loot. Like, if their rate of looting that item, of acquiring that item as loot, is greater than their rate of consumption, then they're not going to buy it. Or one of the other things that will happen, and this is this is a, a big reason why a lot of equipment mm-hmm. does not make for good purchasable items. Yeah. The player is more often going to be rewarded from things like dungeons and stuff with good equipment than not. Like that's often what's the reward for doing well in a dungeon is. Yeah. Or getting to the bottom of it. It's like, here's the legendary sword that's been lost in the deepest, darkest dungeon that nobody wants to go into because it's full of awful monsters. But you went in there and you got it and your reward is now you can wield it against the foes of light or whatever. Yeah. You know, the your enemies. And so then you go and you look in the shop in the next town over and they're like selling some weak sword. They're like, why would I ever use this? I have my sword of awesome demons bane. Yeah, because it's the thing just from a, from a standpoint of player immersion. If that super awesome legendary sword of demons bane just showed up in a store somewhere for 150 bucks, you're just like, what? What is that doing there? Yeah, that would seem really off. <laughs> and on the flip side, if they go into the bottom of a dungeon, they put in all this work, or they could just go to town and buy something that's better, that makes that reward feel super, super lame. And it puts you between a rock and a hard place. Yeah, because either you can have the stuff you can buy in the store be worthwhile buying equipment-wise, or you can have the loot you find in dungeons be worthwhile. Well, there's another thing that actually comes along with that, which is just that concept of the the pricing of those items. Like, how do you how do you actually price them such that it matters? And there's oh, yeah, it gets complicated. Yeah, and we're going to get into a little bit of why that's complicated probably in this next section on money sinks. Yeah. So a lack of money sinks. So it's important to explain what a money sink is. It's this idea of some sort of like repeatable purchase or repeatable expense. So like a new sword may or may not be a money sink, but like consumables and stuff like that tend to be. Um, so that's, for example, upgrade materials as a contrast to an individual sword. They're more often going to be a money sink because it's like a repeated purchase. You're probably not buying like 30 swords, but you might buy 30, I don't know what you, iron ingots to upgrade your swords with. Uh, so like, Real life has a bajillion money sinks. Things like food and water, electricity, garbage collection, taxes, fees, service costs, phone bills, college, insurance, fuel. 
But having that sort of stuff in video games is difficult. There's a couple of reasons for this. First is that money sinks often are fighting for space with loot, as we said previously. Mm -hmm. Like... I talked about consumables. If you get it as loot, you'd no longer need to buy it as much. Yeah. Like, it's no longer something that you need to buy at that point. And so you're just like, well, what do I use this money for? Yeah. And another thing that, that make money sinks difficult is that generally speaking, a money sink is about avoiding a negative experience. Like considering all of the things that we listed above of real life money sinks, like food and water, that's so you avoid dying. Electricity, that's so you avoid not having lights. Garbage removal, that's so you avoid having stanky stuff and st still inside of your house. All of these things are avoiding negative experiences. And when you're in a game, trying to avoid the negative is very different from doing something positive. Yeah, so the thing is when you're, you're setting up a mechanic to be as a functional money sink, you have to be really careful that you're not setting it up to avoid something that's just really obnoxious. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, things like a food and water and hunger and thirst systems, right? Where you're like, oh, well, the player needs to make sure they're eating and drinking so that way their character doesn't like starve to death or dehydrate or whatever. And without it, they'll slowly deteriorate and function and stuff like that. That's great for like a survival game, but imagine if, say, like Dark Souls, you had to be worrying about eating. Oh my goodness, that'd be that would be so sucky, right? Like, if you don't eat, you have half the stamina. You're like, ah, or or your stamina regeneration rate slows to a crawl. Yeah, like that would be really bad, and it, it just doesn't work as well. Like one of the things that helps make us super excited about eating and drinking as like this regular maintenance thing we have to do to keep our bodies running is that. Eating and drinking are awesome to do. They're really enjoyable. Yeah. You see, the thing is, when you get hungry, you're reminded that you do need to eat, but you don't feel bad about it. You don't feel like, oh, man, I have to go get a hamburger. You know, Like, oh, man, I'm hungry. It means I should go eat a hamburger. I get to. Yeah, and that's really, if you're going to make a money sink in a game, that's the kind of response that you want. Like, although it's interesting because it makes me think it's, well, it's not really a money sink, but it does make me think of a particular resource sink, I guess I'd call it, um, which was, uh, what was it, Eternal Darkness and how, uh, how your psyche worked. And it's like, hmm. you were reminded that you needed to keep yourself sane by things just getting weird everywhere. Uh, and so there is this thing of where normally something like that just looks like it's slowly getting down and ticking down. It just makes you feel really trepidatious in a bad way where you're just like, oh, why do I have to manage this thing? But when it's something of where it gets down there and then just weird stuff starts happening, you're almost in anticipation of being down there. You know the game's going to get really, really hard because you can't tell what's happening. But anticipating the fact that you'll just start giant growing big randomly and then not be able to go through doors you're like what oh i went insane i should do something about that but that was fun yeah well and it's a way of making the consequences something other than the meter gets really low and hit or hit randomly with game over yeah and because the meter just getting low and hit, being hit by game over that really exposes the fact that you're playing a game and yeah, it's very immersion-breaking. Yeah, and immersion is really what you want. You want the player to just kind of to accept that these things are happening. Yeah, so something like uh, durability, talking about meters, mm -hmm. is another way that some games have attempted to do money sinks. So, I mean, we, we experience this to some extent in real life, like stuff wears out. 
you play your guitar a bunch and then you're like, well, these strings are just not holding tune very well anymore and I guess I need to go get new strings mm-hmm. or one of them snaps or something. Yeah. And this is just like a fact of life and it's just something we accept, but in games it's really arbitrary. Yeah. And so it's like stuff needs to be maintained normally in real life and that costs money, but like games, just having that work is just often super awkward and really annoying. And you can see this because you have to implement some arbitrary penalty yeah. to maintenance. Like, oh, your sword broken now. You can't use it anymore. Like, well, that sucks. Yeah. Um, and to just see how awkward this often is and how obnoxious it can be. Like, the Souls games have basically made durability an obsolete mechanic. Like, if you look at Dark Souls or like Demon Souls, it was like kind of a big deal. Yeah. You had to go take your stuff to the blacksmith every once in a while just to make sure that it actually still worked. Yeah, and like if it got to like half durability it was like decreased effectiveness and stuff. Like it was a pretty big deal in that game is yeah. as I understand it. And then Dark Souls one is like, okay, well if it breaks it's a problem, but you know, it can break and if you're not paying attention, but it's really easy to just pick up a box to use at any given bonfire and just this minor fee to keep your gear working yeah it's like not a big deal and then dark souls 2 is kind of different because you sat at a bonfire and auto repaired stuff so you no longer even had to spend any souls to maintain it yeah it's just like there were some bugs in the pc version due to frame rate stuff that would cause it to deteriorate quicker than it should have Mm -hmm. uh and that made it kind of like relevant but not necessarily the way that they necessarily intended oh man no man's wharf no man's (laughs) wharf on pc it's real hard to get through there with just one weapon. Oh, wow. Um, but uh, with Dark Souls 3, it's like I don't even consider durability a mechanic except for like a couple of very unique weapons that actually still have special attacks that consume it. Yeah. But otherwise, it's it's not really a thing because they realize that it's all, not adding anything to their game. Yeah, it comes back to one of the one of the points we'd made with the whole food and water system. It's just that idea of you're avoiding a negative. There's no new enjoyment coming out of it. Yeah, there. I think there are ways that you could do durability, but you have to get the player really invested in that sort of sense of maintaining their thing. It has to be a it has to be a part of what the game's about. Yeah, it really has to be some sort of major thing. I could see, for example, like a samurai game that's like emphasizing the sword. Yeah, like, the sword is your soul, and so by wet, by keeping your soul, your sword sharp, you're keeping your soul sharp. And there's something about that in the way the mechanics of the game works. Yeah, and something where you're like, you feel really good about keeping it sharp, and not just like annoyed that you have to sharpen it. Yeah. So again, consumable items can work as a money sink. Just talking about things that can be money sinks. Yeah, yeah. But you tend to run into two problems with this. The first, as we have said so much, often they are loot. The next, I guess there's three really. Uh, so the next one is this idea that as the game progresses, you tend to reward the player with more money. Mm-hmm. Maybe don't do that. But one of the downsides of rewarding the player more money is it makes your consumables have a smaller percentage cost relative to the player's financial capabilities. Yeah. Which makes them meaningless. Like at the start of the game, that potion that costs 50 polka dollars, mm-hmm. or I guess it's more like 200, isn't it? I don't remember. It doesn't matter. This potion costs X amount. So at the start of the game, you have like 10X amount. Yeah. Right? You're like, I guess I can buy 10 potions. 
But by the end of the game, you have like 200x amount. You're like, okay, these potions are like super cheap now. Yeah, they're, these potions are basically meaningless. I'll just have 99 of them in my pocket. <laughs> yeah, because you can easily afford to do so sort of thing. And so like that's one of the things that also makes it not work as well. Something else that can be a problem that makes them not work is sort of like a hoarder's syndrome where players are just like stockpiling stuff. And if they have a non-consumable way of refilling that sort of resource, they, they tend to try to avoid using them in case they need them later. Yeah. And they never do need them later. Yeah, it's one of those things that will harm any... I won't say it harms a player's experience, but it's something that a lot of players just have. Where it, yeah. I have 99 super potions. I'm not going to use any of them because, well, either I have I have a healer, so I'm just going to use that, or I don't know if I will never get any more of these. Yeah, it's actually something that's really neat about speedrunners, is they will throw their resources to the wind if doing so gets them a an extra second. Yeah, and it's interesting. Off on their time. It's interesting because I feel like with the way a lot of items are designed, that's the way that developers want players to use them. But yeah. they never quite engender that sort of use. Yeah, it, it's hard getting that sort of sense. It's like Dark Souls 2 makes you use life gems because they don't give you any Estus. Yeah. And then they teach you, oh yeah, you can just get more life gems. They're all over the place and they're really useful to use or whatever. But Trying to force the player to use consumables can make really bad experiences if the players are really resistant to it. Yeah. Ammunition is kind of like a variation on consumable items. So this is another potential money sink here. It works kind of like a combination between a consumable and durability. But you kind of run into this arbitrariness about it in terms of whether or not it's a meaningful thing. Yeah, a part of it is often, as the name might suggest, often ammunition is associated with guns. And so there's... Or bows. Yeah, guns or bows. And there's this intrinsic immersion thing that happens there where players just like, oh, it's it's a gun, so it has ammunition. Okay, I can understand that it does that. Yeah, that makes sense. But at the same time, there is something about that, though, because there's this arbitrary limit to how many times you can use the item. And there is something about that that can be negative. Yeah, like if the player's not very good at keeping it up. But the other thing that's that's challenging is like the price per ammo item. It can be kind of difficult to pinpoint because if you make it too high, that item is basically impossible to use. Mm -hmm. And then you really run into this hoarder syndrome issue. You make it too low and it basically is not effective. It doesn't really matter. Yeah, it reminds me of Irving from uh, Final Fantasy VIII because a lot of his limit breaks um, used ammo to do special effects. And the problem was that nobody else spent ammo to do stuff. Like they spent magic power and things like that. And he's the only person that buys bullets. And I remember just getting the character like, I want to use you because you're a desperado and you're like a sniper and stuff. But I just, I can't. I can't bring myself to just go, have to go to the store every time I want to use your limit break. And I don't get your limit break often enough to actually care. Yeah, absolutely. So there's some other things that can work. Convenience costs is something that can work. So things like putting a price tag on fast travel. But that can be really tricky to do because if players can avoid it, they often will, and that can lead to bad play experiences. I can briefly actually talk about uh, Guild Wars 2. They have a fee to use their fast travel system. It's it's actually fairly fairly small, mm-hmm. but it took me years before I was like willing to Spend. freely <laughs> use it more or less mm-hmm. because it feels like it's just this huge cost sort of thing. It's like, or I could just walk over there sort of thing. Yeah, and having it at that point where it's like, oh no, wait. 
this is not too bad of a cost to be spending. Mm-hmm. It requires a certain level of valuing your own time over a little bit of in-game currency and feeling like, oh, no, wait, my income rate is high enough that I can afford this. Yeah, and that actually, well, that will get into something a little bit later, but the the concept of an allowance, like having a wage that you're just getting regularly can help ameliorate that a little bit, but not too much. Uh, it maybe, maybe. And then uh, it kind of related to that is the idea of like an NPC service, so like an inn where you go to rest and heal your characters, or like a boat uh, that you need to take somewhere. Something that can come up as a problem of this, and I alluded to this idea a little bit earlier, making sure that the player doesn't like have to farm, you know, repeatedly kill an enemy for money or whatever, in order to be able to afford gameplay necessary services is like, it's that's a difficult balance to strike because you want to make sure that it feels like, oh, there's a cost to do this. Mm-hmm. But if it's necessary for the game, the designer can very much so, and I do not fault them at all for this, and I think there's there's a lot of sense to this, say, I need to make sure that this cost is enough, that it feels like the NPC is charging something, but not so much that most players are going to hit this and be like, now I cannot progress the game, I have to go outside and wander around a bunch until I hit enough random encounters to get enough gold to be able to buy this stupid NPC's stupid boat service. Yeah, yeah. Right. And you don't want to trap the player that way. So it often can lead to that sort of thing kind of being put at a really trivial cost level. Mm-hmm. It can usually result in just the, the cost being brought down to this point where it's, it, there's no reason for you not to be able to pay for it. And so the whole effect of the cost, which is likely for the intention of immersion, likely for immersion, Maybe also as a gating piece, but really that particular style is interesting because I'm curious what the designer intended there. And I think that's actually an important thing with any form of costing is what do you intend that cost to do for the player? Yeah, for sure. And like, is it there just for immersion? Is it trying to be a money sink? Mm -hmm. And like trying to make a gameplay necessary action a money sink will often backfire. Either it's going to have to be too low to be an effective money sink or it's going to potentially make the player need to farm. Mm-hmm. And both of those can be negative experiences. Yeah, no matter what, you would have to design around it. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, going back to sort of the main topic of things that cause the economy to break is this idea that, speaking of avoiding negative experiences, mm-hmm. trying to prevent the player from needing to have to backtrack. Yeah, And this is something that you see in a lot of games where you have some sort of item that can only be found in this particular area and you needed to deal with this other thing somewhere else. Yeah, where you then you have to run back and go grab that thing and come back. Um, There's a a really good way of explaining how this looks with like The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. A lot of Legend of Zelda games do this. So there's stuff that you can buy in stores. Potions, fairies, arrows, seeds, things like Deku Nuts or Sticks. But except for a handful of things, like I think you had to buy the tunics. Yeah. You don't need to buy any of those things for the most part because you can just sort of find them in like grass or pots and dungeons and such. One of the things that they do that's very notable is that if there's a puzzle Mm -hmm. and the solution is throw a bomb at it or use the stick to light a fire or whatever or shoot it with your bow... They're going to give you that item probably in a pot in that room or like one of the the rooms right nearby or a chest or something. Yeah. And they do this so that way if you're out, you don't have to run all the way back into town, break your flow of the dungeon 
feel like an idiot for not managing your stuff properly. And then you're like, okay, cool. I have the thing that I need to do this puzzle. And so it is a way of trying to mitigate potential bad player experience. Like imagine you're playing a Legend of Zelda game. You're down on the third basement of this dungeon and you see one of those eye switches you shoot with your bow and you're like, oh, wait, I am completely out of arrows. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do I do, boss? And then you're like, nothing in here has given me arrows. I have to run all the way out of this dungeon, all the way back to the nearest town, go and find a merchant and buy more arrows. And then I have to go back into the dungeon, make sure I don't use up too many arrows so that way I can make sure to shoot the eye switch, however many arbitrary number of times I may end up needing to to try to get through this dungeon. You can see where this sort of thing goes. Or like in the fight with, say, Bongo Bongo, if he didn't drop arrows. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I've run out of arrows. I can't fight this boss anymore. What do I do? Yeah. You just you just die at that point. Yeah. Um, and that's where that sort of thing causes a break of the in-game economy. You can technically buy arrows, but you don't need to. And the designers are okay with this. Yeah. And it's one of those things of where they basically they've put the gameplay in front of the economy. And there's nothing wrong with necessarily making that particular decision. It's just understanding that that is economy breaking. And if the economy is supposed to be something that your game highlights and utilizes and money is supposed to actually mean something, then you are undermining your economy by doing those sorts of things. Um, I mean, one of the things that comes to mind is just thinking about that with, like, the bow and arrow, for instance. Because the reason the bow and arrow has arrows is immersion. Because yeah. um, when you use a bow, you shoot the arrow, and then you you don't have an arrow anymore. But say you decided, no, it just has infinite arrows. It's a magic bow. Because we're in, we're in Zelda land. We can do this. <laughs> sure, why not? I mean, Guild Wars did it. Yeah. So the bow still functions in the same way that it did before. It's just a little less mundane. And you don't have to worry about the player ending up in that situation where they have zero. Yeah, uh, absolutely. But it's a it's an interesting thought. But again, it changes a little bit about the immersion, and so it's it's a decision that you have to think about, basically. Yeah, very much so. And I think this is kind of just overall looking at this idea of things that break. It's it's designers making decisions. Like, a reason why you might want to try to avoid breaking your economy is because you want money to be able to be a valuable reward to the player. Mm -hmm. But, like, there's lots of ways that this sort of can cause problems, too. If you want it, want the player to feel like they're getting an increasing reward, then you result in this sort of inflation where you give them more and more money and then don't have something to compensate for it, where you have a a lack of effective money sinks. Or things like trying to balance loot versus shop items can make it really difficult to balance. And again, I want to touch uh, back upon MMOs. If you look at all of these problems, MMOs really, really amplify the sort of impact these have. Because you get things like inflation when one player is adding a bunch of virtually generated money to the economy. Because a lot of real world economies are just shuffling money around. Yeah. But games, when you beat an enemy, you get more money. Yeah, it's, that's, it's printing, yeah, printing it's, dollars. it's printing money. Yeah. Like Goomba, it prints money. Yeah, it's like having a, all of the Game Boys are 3DSs. They print money. Yeah, that, that joke. But um, when you have multiple players doing that, it can really cause problems. Trying to give effective loot as rewards to players in MMOs. 
Yeah, because the money is just the money is just constantly rolling out, um, and so there's no way to effectively cost things because it's just constantly going up. Yeah, well, one of the things that's a big issue with trying to balance costs is that with MMOs, players tend to have different levels of investment. So you have your super like hardcore players that just sink a ton of their time into playing your MMO. It's like, I'm done with whatever it was that I need to do for today. I'm just going to sit down and play MMO X. Yeah. And just sit down, just play it for like hours. Or, you know, during the summer, you have kids that are off of school being like, I'm just going to play this MMO all day. And I mean, I was definitely like that with Guild Wars 1. And one of the things that happens there is those players are going to have so much more income. Mm-hmm than your more casual players that like just pop in every now and then. So you have this like super huge income disparity based on time spent in the game and trying to put in effective money sinks that can effectively sink the money of the players who play your game a lot while not being like completely devastating to your players who don't play your game very much. That's a really difficult balance to uh, to achieve. And that's where actually something like uh, I mentioned with the Guild Wars 2 fast travel system was causing me problems because I didn't play that game as much. So I didn't have that same sort of income. Yeah. And that made that system feel really heavy. Yeah, and it's an interesting note because I know one of the um, one of the knee jerk reactions that I could see somebody making to that making to a system like that in response to you know you have constant inflation is just saying well everyone makes the same amount of money over the course of time as opposed to it being a uh, specifically an earning thing but then you remove one of the rewards that players get from just playing the game and so there's a very complex interaction that has to happen there. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. And uh, the other thing that can be really difficult is a lot of endgame content on MMOs is focused around getting loot. Yeah. And as you, that will introduce more money into the system, causing mm-hmm. inflation. And the loot is something they're not buying, removing money sinks. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because it makes me think back way uh, on one of our things where we were talking about how sometimes items become the new currency because of how money works. Yeah, we talked about that when we were talking about uh, game terms. Yeah, yeah. So I, I want to, uh, I feel like we've talked a lot about these sorts of things. So I want to look at a couple of video game economies that I think actually worked relatively well. Uh, so the first one of these, surprisingly, actually is the Pokemon games. I'm talking about like the main title games, so like Pokemon yeah. Red, Blue, Yellow, probably Sun and Moon when they come out, uh, X and Y, all yeah. of those. So I don't know about Pokemon Go, but I don't even know that it has an economy. No, not really. Um, but as actually, as I thought about it, I was surprised because they, especially compared to most video games, they have a really robust economy. One of the big things about the economy of Pokemon is that it manages to be very subtle about how it drains your money. Because it's not something where arbitrarily you're just losing money, but it's specifically that the money sink is related to one of the core aspects of playing the game. Specifically, you want more Pokemon? You need Pokeballs. So you're going to have to buy some Pokeballs. So that's one of the money sinks, but it's items in general that are related to either catching Pokemon, modifying your Pokemon, modifying, and by that I mean training them, uh, giving them vitamins and all, vitamins and all that oh, stuff. Oh yeah, vitamins are huge. Potential uh, money sink. Yeah, picking up TMs, picking up revives and potions for when you're going through the main game. Um, all of these things are just natural money sinks that just come from playing the game uh, in the way that you would want to. And they manage to price them and have a really nice income curve um, because 
along with that, all of your money actually comes from a fairly limited source. Yeah, you only get it from beating trainers, not wild Pokemon, which really allows them to structure their loot in a really interesting way. Mm-hmm. Like, you can find things like some potions and stuff out in the world, but not enough for what most players are going to want. So yeah. you have to buy more. And you're certainly going to need to buy more Pokeballs if you're wanting to actually go after that catch them all sort of mentality. Yeah. And your only source of income is trainers. Like, when you look at a wild Pokemon, all it can give you is experience or the ability to capture it. And while those are rewarding in of themselves, those are not money. Precisely. And so this is one of the things where there is a, a good move of restraint on their part. Yeah, for sure. It it means that they have the ability to predict how much money players will have at any given time. They've also done something else that's some really subtle stuff like Pokeballs failing as a money sink. Mm-hmm. And you don't think of it that way, but it is specialty Pokeballs like Quick Balls and Dusk Balls and stuff. There's yeah. a reason why they don't give you more Master Balls. Yeah. Like, they only give you one because if if Master Balls were buyable, that's the only thing anyone would ever buy. Yeah. And with all these different specialty balls, it encourages you to spend on different sorts of things. And in general, they just don't make money very grindable. Like, you have to basically just grind to the Elite Four. Some games have allowed you to rechallenge trainers, but even then, that tends to be somewhat more sparse. Yeah, and no matter what, one of the big things in the game is that it takes it takes time to get a certain amount of money, but usually that time is spent doing something that is just intrinsically enjoyable within the game. Yeah, and like leveling up your Pokemon, if you remember from the previous podcast, tends to be a, a an engaging enough experience mm-hmm. that wild Pokemon battles don't feel awful a lot of the time to just run into because getting experience feels rewarding enough because those levels feel like they're meaningful. Yeah. And so they they did a lot of different things that actually do a really good job of sort of making the economy function relatively well. Like, they definitely aimed it to be fairly forgiving. Yeah. For sure. Because its uh, target demographic is more of that, like, five-year-old up sort of thing. So they didn't want to, like, make it so you have to, like, hardcore min-max your money. Yeah. But they made it come in at a reasonable rate while providing you things that you actually want to buy. And I would say that it's not a bad thing to make the economy easily manageable, especially if it's not the focus of your game. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so I'm, I was actually, there's a lot of lessons to learn from how they do that. Mm-hmm. The other games is probably pretty obvious, but the Souls games, one of the things that I like is they don't have a ton of different currencies. Some games will overload on different types of currencies, mm-hmm. but having one currency that's spent on everything, including levels, like experience is not a currency in that game. Yeah. You buy your levels. Yeah, of one currency. And uh, then buying those levels is a super effective money sink. You feel really good about getting a new level. Yeah. Like, that's super exciting. And it effectively sinks the money that you're getting as rewards from enemies. Um, they also do a good job of, like, balancing loot versus, like, things you can buy. Like, you can find a Claymore or you can buy a Bastard Sword, and they're not quite the same, but they're similar. Mm-hmm. So, like, you have this nice level of... Here's interesting things to buy. Here's interesting things as loot. Here's enough upgrade materials to upgrade a weapon, but do you want to try out all these other weapons you're getting? Oh, you're going to need to buy Titanite yeah, yeah. or try to grind enemies or something. And then you can just put that into levels. So they, they do a really good job of having an, a functional economy by having some actually very effective 
things for you to want to spend money on. And one of the other things that is in, uh, important to note is their inflation curve, or rather the curve on which um, you need more currency is managed very well um, to where oftentimes when you're at a point where you need to raise your weapon up to a certain level, you've got a level four weapon, you need to get it to level six. Getting it to level six is probably going to be a little bit of a grind, but getting another weapon up to level four is going to be very easy. Yeah, and definitely not nearly as much of an effort. Like, it's really easy to get a weapon up to the point where it's almost acceptable, and then you have to put in a lot more work to bring it up to acceptable. But each time you, you reach another one of those echelons, it becomes easier to bring it up to that almost acceptable level. Yeah. And it's a very interesting thing also, um, just on note, with the money sink of leveling up, uh, of specifically getting more stats and having to put your currency into that. It's a hungry monster. Yeah, it it's a hungry monster, and that's actually a pretty good one there, uh, because it's a hungry monster, but you get an enjoyable experience out of spending that money. And that, you know, comes back to that idea of, like, with food. When you get hungry, you're reminded that eating food is a thing that you should do. And then you're reminded, oh, wait, I enjoy eating food. I'm going to go eat some food now. And it's the same case. You'll be reminded at some point, I should level up. Oh, well, I'm actually, I'm actually pretty low on levels. Like I'm pretty underleveled here. I'm taking a lot of damage. Well, um, if I level up, I'll be genuinely better. I should go do that. Yeah. And it's, it's enjoyable to make that decision of, uh, where to put your levels. But yeah, that covers a lot of what we wanted to talk about here. Yeah. Uh, just, you know, and, a final encouragement of think about your economy, think about how you're trying to balance player rewards and what you want to do to try to make the game elements you're putting effort into meaningful. Yeah, and when you're making an economy or when you make a game and you you ask yourself, do I want an economy? That's the first thing you need to ask yourself. Do yeah, that's I want actually one? an important question to ask. Because an economy in a game needs to serve a purpose for it to actually not just be a hindrance to play. Um, otherwise, it's just you're putting arbitrary costs on things and making players do arbitrary work to get at things that could have been granted to them by more interesting methods. But economies can be used to be that interesting method of gaining things and also be used to create a better sense of immersion. But it's always important that you go into it deliberately and you say, my economy serves this purpose. This is why I have this here. And we will design it around this intention. Yeah. Also, just one final thought about money sinks. The things that work best in them that I've seen are things that the player wants but doesn't need. Yes, like hats. Yes, like hats or specialty armors mm -hmm. or uh, things like that. It's surprising how well uh, vanity items work as money sinks. Yeah, certainly worked pretty well for Guild Wars 1, relatively speaking. Mm -hmm. But I think that about wraps it up. So I think we'll head to the sign-off. Okay, Santier, signing off. And this is Redco, signing off. Play the games you want to play, boyos.